investing in real estate with the retirement dollars. In today's episode, we have Dan Krajanowski, who is an expert when it comes to how do you move your money into alternative assets like real estate, and we'll be diving deep into some of those strategies today. Let's get into it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investors, have you grabbed your copy of the Passive Investor Playbook yet? If you haven't, I recommend you go pick up the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. You can grab that in the show notes right down below as we've interviewed tons of the top experts and brought together all of the knowledge that we have on passive investing so that you can lay a foundation for yourself to make sure you're making the right decisions in your investing career. You can grab that guide uh, at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Let's get back to it. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento, and I'm excited today in the studio. I've got Dan Krizanowski. How are you doing, Dan? Wonderful, Stephen. And uh, Brownie points for saying my name correctly so early uh, in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and as some of you guys may or may not know, Dan, he's an active investor and he's an expert when it comes to using retirement dollars to invest in real estate. And today we're going to dive into that exact topic, how you can use money from your IRA or 401k or other vehicles in order to invest in real estate and why this is his go-to alternative asset. You ready to get started, Dan? Let's do it. All right. So taking a look back at much earlier in your life, before you got into real estate, before you started learning about all these strategies, tell me what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, honoring my father today would have been his 78th birthday. And, uh, you know, he was a high school principal and educator. And, uh, you know, part of it is just showing up early, showing up every day. And I think he instilled that in me. And, you know, of course, my mother, just tremendous heart, but super smart, uh, uh, you know, lifelong social worker. So, you know, they were from, I'd say, the pension generation. But, you know, I was fortunate when I was younger a lot of my grandparents, my older aunts and uncles were alive. And a lot of them somewhat by default were entrepreneurs, take it from the depression or otherwise. But, you know, they bought parcels of land. I remember we called it the farm, which was the farmhouse back then. So, you know, kind of real estate got slowly, uh, you know, pushed into me, although it probably took a few decades for me to uh, really act on it. Yeah, it's good to have those kind of influences early on and how that can end up shaping you and driving you down this path. And so, you know, now after all these years, you've been investing yourself in real estate and focused in particular on this asset or this section of the market, really helping people invest from the retirement into real estate. And there's so many misconceptions here. And, you know, a lot of our listeners are experts. They've already been doing this. They're going down the path. So we're definitely going to get into some advanced topics today. But for those people who aren't really aware Talk to me a little bit about what are some of those common misconceptions that people have when it comes to using their retirement dollars to invest in something like real estate? Yeah, I think two big things. I mean, the first is just folks are not aware. Um, you know, even a lot of our friends that, you know, we call it the finance MBAs out there, just 
never came up in conversation. And we can talk why in a moment. And, you know, the other misconception is that this would be an early withdrawal. So you're going to have penalties, fees, et cetera, when it's actually not. I mean, basically, the, the legalities behind it are basically the same as where, you know, if your money sat with the vanguard of fidelity. Uh, so there's, you know, frankly, probably in about 30 seconds, there's enough education to get people over the hump. But most folks, uh, you know, are never aware of this. Yeah, a lot of people don't know they've been investing in those traditional accounts. And, you know, from my perspective, it's clear that these institutions have a, a big interest in making you think that there's only one way to invest, and that's to invest in those kind of index funds, in those uh, brokerage accounts, and directly in stocks. And it's because that's what their business model is all about. It They don't make money when you're investing in, in assets like gold or real estate or arch or other types of things that you can invest in with uh, you know a self-directed type of an account. And when someone's going to go down that path and, and they want to uh, start investing, what are some of those questions that they are typically you know, bringing up to you, Dan? Yeah. So, I mean, the first one is, can I do this? Is this easy? Uh, so, as of course, you can do it. It's legal. It's been around 50 years. Is it easy? Uh, you know, generally speaking, it wasn't as easy as, say, opening an online account or opening a checking account. Whereas folks like Rocket Dollar and some other new players in the space have made it just as easy. Five minutes, personal information, driver's license, credit card, e-sign, boom. You have control of your retirement dollars. So I think it was a mindset shift within the self-directed industry that, as I like to say, it's now very, it's country club cool for you to say, hey, you know, I took back part of my retirement. I invested in this big real estate deal. And then when the dividends came in, you know, I put into some crowdfunding or I put into this bar down the street or this female entrepreneur. And it's literally just as easy as doing that with your piggy bank checking account while retaining all the benefits uh, of a retirement account. Yeah. And so this has been a lot around for 50 plus years. This is not something new, but for some people, it feels new because they hadn't really heard about it. And so, you know, as companies like the ones that you mentioned have made some of those changes, they made it frankly easy because, you know, for many years, it, it it's been available and it's been an option, but it just takes some time and effort to be able to get that money into the right account and then know how to go about investing it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, most folks, they go to their nine to five, they max out their 401k, they leave their job, uh, they're probably sitting on cash half the time, they don't realize it. And they just assume, you know, snap their fingers, they're 60 years old, and the market's going to be at a high and everything's going to work out. You know, the big light bulb moment for me a few years ago is uh, talking to some high net worth folks in family offices. And even in front of open doors, they said, hey, guys, we have less than 10% of our stuff in stocks and bonds. So you wonder how high net worth folks become high net worth, how family offices maintain, you know, not only the principal, but also this lifestyle of the live off of, you know, frankly, it's from private assets such as real estate. Okay. So let's say, and, and we're going to get into some advanced strategies here in a second here, but, you know, let's say that I'm, you know, I love what you're saying. I'm excited about it. Well, where do I start? How do I actually go about getting my dollars from, the account that it's currently in into something that I can actually start investing with a sponsor or on my own? Yeah, so it's very, so traditionally, meaning in the past 50 years, you would go to, it's called a custodian. Now, once again, the fidelities in the world are custodian, but this is a self-directed custodian. Uh, and you would fill out their paperwork and it, you probably need a scanner, a fax machine, et cetera. 
let's not talk about that. Let's think of what you can do in the modern days with the likes of Rocket Dollar. You know, five minutes, sign up online, you, you sign a few documents, then you go back to, since I'm a Fidelity client, you know, click on Fidelity, your Fidelity, you'll fill out a one pager and you'll transfer as much or as little of your account balance as you want to into a self-directed account. And then from there, assuming this is a checkbook control self-directed account, you can invest just as easy as you could with your piggy bank checking account. So this is if I'd say the investor is fully taking the control bulls by the horn. A lot of times what happens though is many of the great sponsors, the syndicates that we know out there will educate or inform their investors say, Hey folks, did you know you can also use your retirement? And that seems to be the catalyst that is also an ecosystem um, that I'd say the likes of a lot of the new self-directed providers are providing. Okay. So I go to a custodian, which tell us what a custodian is. Yeah. So without going into too much legal, I mean, custodian basically manages, or I should say, holds on to your money. Um, I like to think of it as when you were a kid and you asked, you know, your mom and dad for allowance and you knew you were going to get it, but you have to go through the dog and pony for 15 minutes to get your, you know, your pizza money for the week. Where I see the industry going is in checkbook control accounts. And why do I say that is, you know, a few things. One is, you know, outside of health, time and money, particularly time is our most valuable asset. Secondly, a lot of folks have had a good experience. So let's say, you know, Steve and I invested with you. I might say, hey, every quarter I want to put in 25 cakes. I want to be in four deals. It, it makes no sense for you and I to be on the phone for an hour with a third-party custodian filling out their paperwork for sake of. I just want to write you a check. You just want to write, you just want to take my money, invest my money, and send me a dividend. Uh, this is how the self-directed world is progressing. This is even kind of outside of retirement dollars, how investing is going. Think of different crowdfunding uh, sort of campaigns. So with that, we're just saying, listen, there's a pool of 10 trillion with the T. There's a tiny slice, a hundred billion, that's actually in these self-directed accounts. We're letting you take your little slice to invest in what you want when you want. Yeah. So I set up the custodian really is just somebody to make sure that I'm doing things the right way and they're jumping through these hoops, but they're not confirming that I'm making the right type of investments. They're not there to make those kind of decisions. They're just there to check boxes and fill out paperwork for the government, essentially, to make sure that things qualify uh, correctly. But if you were going to do checkbook control, that just means that you have the right to write the check without talking to the custodian, but you are the one who's responsible for making sure that you're doing things proper, which it takes a very quick education. Yeah, you're right. It does. And you know, the best analogy I give, and I'll also share some hard data behind it. Uh, think of a health savings account. So, you know, you go out, you need surgery, you're going to have your debit card from some random credit union, swipe it. And that's great. You know, your kid breaks his arm. You can do the same. You know, that said, if we're going to go out and um, use non-health related, we know that's something the IRS would not allow. In a very similar vein, in self-directed accounts, the IRS is no life insurance, no collectibles, think artwork, their Jordans. And the big thing is no self-dealing. So not yourself or your linear family. So what does this really mean? Don't invest, say, in the, you know, your property in Vail and stay there on the weekends. Or, you know, for my long points here, you know, don't buy a flat in Austin and have your kid stay in it when he goes to school. Or she, of course. Um, so, you know, with that, it's very easy of what you can do. So versus, you know, the two or three things you cannot, you're open to invest not only in the U.S., but across the whole world. So opportunity, and you're right, it's very easy. What we just described, like, that's it. And, you know, what I can share from a rocket dollar perspective, the first thousand plus clients, 
you know, nobody ended up in the gray area. And what you see, you know, for a lot of folks in the self-directed space, there is a pretty in-depth FAQ. A lot of folks on the sales and the support side are very smart, kind of with our antenna up. If somebody, you know, we can tell they're probably trying to get in the gray area on purpose. We're just going to back them away or say, you know what, uh, you know, for example, now in Washington, D.C., they have an approved cannabis. You cannot invest in something cannabis. That said, if you're in a retail strip mall and, you know, a hemp joint comes in, you're going to be okay. So those are the types of, I'd say, you know, detail um, a lot of folks in the industry have, which is great for investors. And so you mentioned something about no self-dealing. So if I'm a sponsor and for all the sponsors out there and I've got a deal and I'm putting it together and it's a 506B or, or one of the Reg D offerings, is it correct that I cannot invest using my self-directed IRA into one of those accounts? Yeah. So you as a person of control cannot. So meaning think of CEO, board of the directors, when you own 10% more of equity, uh, you cannot, nor if it was your spouse, your child, et cetera. Uh, there are certain situations, you know, like say if you work for Amazon and wanted to buy more Amazon stock, yes, because you're not Jeff Bezos, you can do that. But yeah, it gets a little tricky, um, you know, so generally speaking without going, you know, learning of all the details, probably say no to your own property using your own money. Uh, you know, that said, you know, if uh, you could be passive if you are going to invest, um, if you're not going to take active management of it, you could be a passive LP investor. So we do see that. Yep. So LPs, if you're not a general partner or the sponsor on the deal, if you're not taking that ownership equity and making management decisions, you can take your money and invest it in anybody's deal, you know, very simply by just working with one of these custodians. Spot on. Yeah. Custodian or other self-directed providers. And, uh, you know, just with some terminology, a lot of times custodian is for self-directed IRA. So SDIRA is kind of the Gatorade term of the industry that's been around 50 years. What I'm more excited about uh, in the early 2000s, the solo 401k came out, also known as the individual 401k EQRP. And this is where you, you're literally managing your own money. Um, you're self-employed, legitimately self-employed. So I think you're a consultant, a 1099 realtor, uh, maybe you're pretty active in the gig economy. Uh, so tremendous benefits to these accounts, you know, contributing 50,000 plus, having a pre-tax checking account, a post-tax Roth checking account to kind of shift money, do an implant conversion. It's extremely powerful. And the biggest thing is there's no custodian by default, by the way, this account is set up, there's no custodian. So when you think of how many folks are self-employed are moving towards it, it's an extremely attractive account for you to invest in what you want when you want. Yeah. And so, you know, as a, as I'm an investor, I, I'm thinking about going and setting these, one of these accounts up, I've got the money there. What are some of the biggest roadblocks that people typically run into when going down this path and, you know, how can they overcome that? Yeah. I mean, some of it can be um, timing. So some folks assume that, you know, they can invest in a deal tomorrow, literally, or within a few days. And, you know, that's not the case. Uh, it, it still takes, you know, even on an expedited service, probably a week, because you have to realize you have to complete paperwork, then you have to go back to your fidelity, move the money over, um, and then make the investment. So, you know, even hyper streamlined and, you know, rocket dollars, you know, we've, we've done the critical paths, et cetera. Um, you're still looking at seven to 10 days, you know, with the traditional custodian, particularly if you don't give them notice, you know, your paperwork's going from division to division, you could be looking at a month. 
So, you know, that's, that's kind of the main thing. The second thing is just not being aware. Some folks think they can invest in their own business, their own startup. Uh, you can, once again, we talked about uh, being a person of control. You cannot do that. Uh, so that's, some folks may get confused with the ROBS, which uh, basically I won't go into detail, but this allows you to take your retirement dollars to invest in your own company, but there's a whole lot of fine printing rules and regulations. So it's, it's very separate. And so I share all these because some folks might do a Google search later and I'd say, ooh, I heard I can use my retirement, but let's be clear where you're using it for. So for a good first investment, I'd say you're going in as an LP in something solid like real estate, that's a very vanilla transaction. Yeah, very, very simple for them to go about doing that. And, and it's important to know what are some, if you're going to go down this path, as part of the process of moving your money over and, and starting to, you know, managing your money, you're going to want to start learning what are some of the ins and outs and working with your custodian or your representative or, um, you know, somebody that's going to be able to answer questions because there is some intricacies, but uh, don't let those overwhelm you because at, at the core uh, it's actually a very simple process. You know, it's a little bit of paperwork here or there, making sure that you're reporting things in the right way, understanding that, you know, you can't invest in your wife's deal or your son's deal. But it, am I correct? You can invest in your brother or sister's deal or other family members, but there's certain transactions that you can't do. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oddly enough, brother and sister um, are not part of your linear family, even though, of course, you grew up with them. Uh, like anything, though, you, you have to be cautious let's just put on our sponsor hat, you know, that you do not give one investor preference over another, particularly if that one investor is your sister versus, you know, your four other colleagues. Um, but I mean, a lot of folks, you know, the sponsors are going to go through the legal hoops when they do their PPM and they do their offering memorandum, et cetera. And uh, so as an investor, you're just basically investing in an A share or a B share of a deal. And so when you're talking to some of these high net worth individuals, some of these family offices, some of you know the wealthiest individuals in the country, what is it that they're doing differently than the everyday person? And how can we kind of model some of those same investing behaviors for ourselves? Yeah, I mean, when you think of, you know, the bell curve of, let's just say, high net worth to, you know, very underbanked, you know, high net worth, they use their dollars for leverage to lever up and to buy things. Uh, the flip side, as you see folks, you know, with high heat, credit card, they get themselves into debt. You know, when you self-directed accounts is actually, I'd say, you know, the top part of the bell curve here. So probably accredited, but not ultra high net worth. Um, you know, when we did some personas, you know, one was called Mike, uh, I think early 40s, VP of a company like Dell. Uh, you know, he's a techie by day, but loves, you know, bio at biotech at night, for example. Uh and invest, you know, maybe that first deal he's going to put 100000 into. And if it goes really well, he might shift, you know, a few hundred thousand more into another similar deal or maybe expand it out into real estate, for example. Uh, so this is the typical, I'd say, persona that you're seeing is somebody that's, uh, you know, has some acumen. And it's more, I'd say, the, I don't even want to say risk, but it's appetite, but it's more the awareness um, and the foresight not to just blindly put your money in a few mutual funds. And for some folks, it's just, you know, it's, to your question, Stephen, you know, it's not a 60-40 stock bond split, these high net worth folks. It's spread out either where they have hyper, hyper, hyper expertise, but more often, I call it a pretty pie chart. So you're going to have, you know, right now, some folks are taking advantage of opportunity zones. That's good for taxes. Actually, not as good for retirement dollars, but for your piggy bank checking account, it's great. 
So you see a lot of trust in such doing that. Same time, think of something like RV parks, self-storage, less mile industrial. These are amazing for your retirement dollars. Why? Let's say, you know, everybody's 40-year-old, you know, 20 years to go before you can take out retirement before penalty. You're going to earn dividends on an ongoing basis. And the deals are probably going to go for five to seven years. So it's an amazing deal. And by the way, as this equity goes up and your principal goes up, you're not paying taxes. So to kind of sum it all up is for the, I'd say, you know, average Joe Jane America that has a sizable 401k, flip companies a few times, you're in a very good spot to take a portion of that, to put it in a hard asset. Um, either with somebody you know and trust, somebody to diligence on, or back into your community. I mean, so at the core of what you're talking about is that those folks that tend to be in that accredited high net worth, and they're frankly very educated on where they're putting their money, they're not just putting it into one place and leaving it in you know the generic vanilla mutual fund. They're understanding what asset do they have an advantage in and finding out how can they invest in those assets? And then they're going and taking action and, and putting that, that, that capital there so they can get those risk weighted returns while still having asset allocation that's dividing it up. So they're, they're uh, you know, maybe they have some high risk stuff in this bucket. They have some very low risk stuff in this bucket and they're spread across multiple different types of assets. Yeah, you're spot on. And you know, the great thing I like about well, a checkbook control retirement account is, you know, if we just think of, uh, you know, going back to Mike and he's on his third company, he has a lot of these old 401k dollars. He might be sitting on hundred K in cash because, you know, times are busy now. He rolled over from his old company and that's earning 0%, 1% at best. You move it into something like a last mile industrial fund, which is like a bond wrapped in real estate. You're getting your seven, 8% dividend, you know, your 10% plus IRR on the back end within five years. So if you really think about, you know, Mike's situation for this, even this 100K piece at 1%, it's kind of not moving for 20 years with some, you know, very, very stable real estate, you know, you can do the chart. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. So that's where I think folks that are still, uh, you're seeing this awareness of folks that even if they're still heads down with their day job, their W2 job, 50 hours a week, they're going to say, you know, uh, my buddy knows this guy, Steven, he invested with him. Uh, I've never been to Colorado, but I look at the demographics, people are moving there. You know what? Multifamily, yeah, people have to live somewhere. This makes sense to me. And you're going to show great returns in the first year. And then they're going to be like, wait, why am I sitting on cash? Why am I in a 2% bond fund? Why am I paying somebody a percent, two points, you know, this sort of fund? And slowly, I think you're going to see, you know, certain folks, once, once the mind is shifted, then the dollars come. Yeah. Yeah, definitely as well. Um, with that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up here. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah. So, uh, Dan at Dan is, is a great email. Uh, I love LinkedIn and, you know, please reference, uh, I listen to the podcast here and happy to do a one-on-one call. And, uh, of course, if you're in Austin, Texas, you know, we're, we're boots on the ground sort of community. So I'd love to uh, sit down and have coffee with anybody. Absolutely, Dan. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, today and and walking us through some of the the different ways that people can start putting these retirement dollars to work in real estate, starting to realize that there's more options than just the REIT that they think is the only option that's available to them. So thank you so much. We'll have uh, all the contact information you mentioned in the show notes and uh, look forward to the next time we get to do this again. Awesome, brother. Have a good one. 
Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.